Jimmy Fallon <laughs> finds bliss in cancer. Like, <laughs> that was Marty. No, not Marty, but the uh, the oh. count. That's how. They, <laughs> that's how the that's how the count laughs. Oh, I was say Jared Leto from. Suicide Man, my squad. impressions tonight are on fire. <laughs> I knew you were going for you going yeah. for Crispin Glover uh, uh, in uh, Back to the Future. Oh yeah, yeah. That was pretty good. He's a terrible father. <laughs> yeah. So, but a great. He mother. literally went back in time and made him cooler. And came back. <laughs> yeah. He had cooler parents then. Aww. After the, he it went the dream, he went back, fucked his mom, and then his parents were cooler. Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we dissect the Darren Aronofsky film, which is Black Swan. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hello there again, everybody, and welcome in to episode 190 of Film Tank. I'm Alex Diekman. Nick Cheney also here. Hey! Toussaint Egan, unable to... To join us. Oh, sorry, I did it twice. You, you hate that, that wasn't Tucson. <laughs> <laughs> Unable to join us on this episode, but for the second episode over in a row, we have Anna Bodisano with us. Hello. Yeah. Oh. Hello. Yay. And we're also not talking about a Marvel movie on this episode. Look that at is, that. That is true. So we're taking I, a hiatus just like Marvel is. This is not an insult against you, Anna. <laughs> I'm saying that first because I don't want this to I'm be... I'm certainly taking it as one. <laughs> well, I can't stop you. But when he said that, when Alex said the second episode in a row, I was like, what episode? And I was like, oh, yeah. Endgame came out like two weeks ago and I've already forgotten. Oh. Which I don't even mean that because I like that movie. But mm-hmm. anyway, just f- fuck this oversaturated culture. Anyway, yeah. well, you know, it was less that I forgot your contribution and more just that I forgot that we had this conversation. I was gonna say we had a whole hour and thirty minute episode on it. Sure did. That's really funny. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> that was my story. Yeah, sometimes I like how in your mind Endgame just came and went. <laughs> I mean, it kind of did for me. I would, yeah. and I like I'd go see it again. But the idea that even like the most advent advent of these kind of movies, whatever also still feel like a passing fad in their larger... Like, because I know that... like I mean, that's the thing. We've already... Just not to get into a whole conversation, but in the time that we recorded that but episode, we have heard about the shows that are going to be on Disney+. Plus. We have seen the new and more official trailer for the new Spider-Man movie. And so Endgame literally already feels like something that's in the past, despite the fact that it is only two weeks uh, in the no, theater. I mean, that's, that's how And that's how Phase it goes, 4 though. has yeah, been but like, too. Yes, you know, for it dethroning... A list of untitled Marvel films. <laughs> <laughs> but for it dethroning something like Titanic, people weren't like moving and on from Titanic when that was in the theater. You know, like people were like... 
Just imagine if something that big was uh, happened again to something that wasn't a franchise. You know, like it would have the actual staying power of like. I think I brought this up before, but Titanic was number one at the box office for like sixteen consecutive weeks or something yeah. like that. Avengers Endgame will not be number one at the box office no, for sixteen consecutive not weeks. That's just the state of movies today. Yeah. Um, but Avengers Endgame also doesn't have to be because if anything, it it's, needs to duck down at some point because the other its brother is going to come yeah. out and so on and so forth. But I will say, and uh, we already are trying to like decide to move on a little bit from superhero movies for a little while. But yeah. at the same time, I, mentally, I moved on. That's why I forgot about it. Yeah, <laughs> that Spider-Man trailer had. Uh, I thought some diminishing returns because when they came out, as per usual, all the Marvel people, they were like, best trailer ever, fantastic, so much drama happening. And I'm, I watched it and I was like, this looks worse than the first trailer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm yeah. confused about what's happening in it. I don't know what the fuck Jake Gyllenhaal, I know he's eventually the villain, but, I'm very against him being in this movie. So, but if you establish clearly in the first trailer that he is the villain, why would you ever um, make a course correction in the second trailer? I, I mean, apparently, and I've never read a comic with Mysterio in it. So, mm-hmm. but apparently, that's his stick. Like he's okay. he always, I guess, tries to come up with whatever, and then it cunning capes and capers and crazy schemes. So, okay. Um, it's more just I think that that first trailer was, in my opinion, Bad. poor because yeah. they couldn't really do much with it um, until Endgame, you know, came out and whatnot. So I think that's less about the movie, which I'm also not really looking forward to based off these trailers, and more about Endgame uh, hype yeah. and now fatigue. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But anyway. Very good. Yeah. I'm not excited. I didn't care for the first one. Neither so. did I. Yeah. I liked uh, Homecoming. Yeah, yeah. I mean, most people did. So mm-hmm. we are in the minority there. Yeah. Uh, I do say, I will say though, this movie very clearly, or the trailer very clearly confirmed that all of the main players in <laughs> Peter Parker's life, were luckily, snapped. were part of the fifty percent. I was gonna say they were snapped away, and now they. <laughs> Which are all I'm back. like, can't you do like one character, like just mm-hmm. to show it have like real, you know, consequences? But no, no. especially because Flash is back. Yeah. Anyway. That's fine. So anyways, not talking about Spider-Man, but we are talking about the uh, long-attempted episode that we've been trying to do on Darren Aronofsky's film Black Swan. That's right. Which this is like the fourth attempt. It's a month in the making. I was going to (laughs) say. But finally, the three of us are here to talk about it. Um, So I guess I will eventually, after giving a brief synopsis, I guess I'll start us off because I was the one who was for sure the driving force behind this episode, um, as I've always felt that this was a absolutely fantastic film. Uh, So mentioned, directed by Darren Aronofsky, who recently has done all kinds of things like The Wrestler, which actually came out before Black Swan. And most recently, he directed Mother, which we previously have talked about on this podcast. Uh, And then before that, way now, almost 20 years ago, directed Requiem for a Dream, um, which is most people's introduction to him as a filmmaker. So this film stars Natalie Portman as the uh, the main character, and she did win her uh, so far sole Oscar for this film. Uh, And also features Vincent Cassell, Mila Kunis, Winona Ryder, and Barbara Hershey. 
So the film uh, surrounds a committed dancer who struggles to maintain her sanity after winning the lead role in a production of Swan Lake. So, I uh, will say that I saw this film in the theater um, when it first came out. And I really had no expectation going into the theater. The uh, I had seen The Wrestler in the theater and um, after that. So I had an idea of who Darren Aronofsky was. But at the same time, I had no expectations for what this film was going to be. Um, and I thought that this was just a absolutely brilliant film. Uh, basically from beginning to end. Uh, I love basically the combination of the story and also the background of what this film is going for is this is one of the weird films that definitely is trying to like show its artistic approach, but at the same time it completely fits in with the content of the story. And I think it really just blends together in a pretty fascinating way for me. And I feel like this is a film that definitely could be a turnoff for some people, just like, Terrence Malick films are a turnoff for some people or Nicholas Winding Refn films are a turnoff for some people like Aronofsky is definitely a polarizing filmmaker um, and definitely has a pretty high opinion of himself uh, as by the final scene of this film is basically him being like look what I did so <laughs> I could definitely see that and I've obviously not the biggest fan of some of the filmmakers I've previously just mentioned, but at the same time, um, it's really these filmmakers works that bring out, I don't want to say the biggest emotions from people, but they definitely connect with people in some way where they are either going to love it or they're not necessarily going to hate it, but they're just going to, be turned off by it, I would say. And I, for this film in particular, thought it was just absolutely fantastic. Um, Natalie Portman is giving a just fabulous performance throughout. And I think the idea of, and the very interesting idea of her being a child performer going into this role specifically, um, and also too her being a leading feminist female in Hollywood at, at this time, and not necessarily in 2010, but now from where she's come from, um, growing into that, uh, it's fascinating for me to go back and watch this film just because she's playing this role uh, in an industry that is honestly just terrible for the people who inhabit it. Um, you know, ballerinas are, for the most part, and I don't, I'm not saying that it's like as awful as this film is leading us to believe, but at the same time, a lot of the actions in this film have got to be just completely taken from real life experience from um, dancers who just are forced into this just horrendous uh, regime. I, I, I was going to say lifestyle because it, you know, they are trying to live out their dreams and they are wanting to be dancers and they've been great dancers their whole lives, but they get sucked into this. You don't have just, a lot of choices to make well, in this career. No, but the, the, there is, it's a weird thing because on the one hand, this is a completely female driven industry, but on the other hand, there is like extreme toxic masculinity on the surface here. Uh, and we see that very much with Vincent Cassell's character who is completely abusing his position to do basically whatever he wants. And this film is very interesting because 
I feel like there's definitely some some point of view that you could take by seeing this film, which I, is one of the reasons, another one of the reasons why I think it's fantastic. Where, um, and the, God, Aaron Aronofsky's just an asshole, and he's got to be right, like he's got to be a prick. But he he's he is almost in a weird way making Vincent Cassell's character a sympathetic figure at points of this film, and it is pretty disgusting. Yeah. Um. So. All of that mashed together, this is a film that definitely at points is definitely really messy, but I think artistically it has such a great flow. And when we get to the finale, the final 15 minutes of this film are just absolutely fantastic in my opinion. Um, seeing the actual dance and the performance and the fruits of the labor of everything that we've seen Natalie Portman's character, but also all the other dancers who are kind of in the background throughout the entirety of the film. Sebastian Stan. Yeah. Oh, when he finally makes his appearance. As not a dancer, but... Uh, he was definitely in there. As a, uh, as a, club, the as a club patron. Just there, just getting the that whatever that verse is read to him so he can go kill Howard Stark again. That's fine. I think you mean Howard Stank. <laughs> it was like those Howard ten Potts. words. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, boy. See, you remembered something from the film. It wasn't hard. Uh, and then the finale of this film, as I was mentioning, is just absolutely flawless uh, to me. Um, you know, there there is something to be said about the, the weird connection between Mila Kunis and Natalie Portman's character and her seemingly killing her. But then at the end of the day, she's really just killed herself to give this perfect performance, which is... Well, the uh, only one standing in her way is her. Yeah. It's on the nose. But as I was mentioning before, the way that this film is able to weave its content in with its uh, storyline and also at the same time with, with what the actual message of the film is like it totally makes sense for this theatrical presentation of her literally killing herself just as uh, um, the swan did in, in Swan Lake. So it, it is a fantastic film that uh, has a lot of emotions throughout. And I think really just does a fabulous job weaving together with its actual storyline, but also with the source material from Swan Lake and also putting that in there with really fantastic performances by Natalie Portman and actually also Vincent Cassell, because I think he's a really underrated actor uh, who's giving a great performance here too in a really icky role. Um, I love this film, so I've got more thoughts, but I'm interested to see what you guys also have to say. So, Okay, um, I'll go next. Okay. Um, I pretty much agree with most of what you said mm -hmm. Alex um so um you said you saw this movie in theaters is that correct I did okay well the first time I saw this movie was I want to say a couple years ago and it was like on TV when we had like a free preview of HBO or something and I was super excited because prior to this movie coming out like, you know how when you look on Wikipedia and, like, something is still in development and there's, like, no information on it? Mm -hmm. I remember, like, watching that page <laughs> before Black Swan came out, which is such a stupid thing to say. But <laughs> that's what I did. And then when it finally came out, I just, I didn't see it until, like, way later. <laughs> that's, that's how much it made an impression on you. So You're just sitting there clicking F9 all day and it's finally out and you're like, I'm good. I'm tired of this. <laughs> but anyway, um, when I finally watched it, I like was not disappointed at all. I 
really like Aronofsky's um, directing style. Like Alex had mentioned before, Requiem for a Dream was my personal introduction to him. And I think that's what a lot of um, young people end up watching when they're first trying to get into film. And that's one thing that's definitely stuck into my mind. Um, And then uh, I've also seen Mother, which was not a favorite of mine. But I really did like this movie a lot because I like his... um, directing style how like the the camera tends to follow the actors around and how it might be just the camera choice or maybe it's a post choice i don't know but i like the graininess of the film i feel like a lot of directors don't really like to use that and darren just goes for it um i really like the storyline i think Natalie Portman and Mila Kunis are perfectly cast. Um, as I was saying earlier when we were watching the movie, I think Mila Kunis should be in more dramatic roles. Granted, I know she mostly gets cast in like comedic roles, and she can do that, of course, but I feel like this, she was just so good in it. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and then I like how there isn't a whole lot of media surrounding um, ballerinas and that sort of culture, but I definitely agree with you, Alex, how you were saying that this... I totally believe that a lot of these things were pulled from real life. Um, One of my favorite scenes in this movie is when um, Natalie Portman gets her new ballet shoes and like she takes them apart and like rips them up and cuts them up because that's what ballerinas have to do to their shoes. Like if you wear new shoes, they're going to fuck your feet. And like the idea is you have to basically destroy them to make sure that they're comfortable. Yeah, it's like, I mean, it's kind of like destroying yourself (laughs) for your art. I was also going to say, like... Exactly. Figure skaters kind of do that, too. They have to break their skates. Yeah, Yeah. I was going to use a different analogy, but I was going to bring up uh, breaking in a new baseball glove. Like, you just taking it out of the store, like, you don't want it... It's going to be all... It's not going to work right. Like, it's going to be stiff if you you don't break it in. So, yeah. Exactly. So... Uh, you have never, <laughs> you've never broken held... in a baseball glove, Nick. <laughs> Looks like you've never held a baseball. <laughs> I was going to say, Nick is looking at like a sock puppet, and I, d- I don't know what is going on. Yeah, I don't. Think and Nick's... now it's the claw from Liar Liar. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't think Nick's ever held a baseball. First of all, I was a really good shortstop in my little league days. <laughs> Were you? Yeah. yeah. I was actually the only sport I played for like six years straight. Fantastic. Yeah. Carrie Elways, by the way, in Liar Liar is so great when he's like trying to talk with the kid and he's like, look, it's the claw. He's just the fucking biggest goober. (laughs) I'm sorry. I talked myself into that reference that no one gave a shit about. I mean, I recognized it. (laughs) I respected it. But. But I was not going to acknowledge it. (laughs) Okay. Anna, please continue. Um, Yeah. So I. Like Alex, I enjoyed this movie from beginning to end. I feel like when you get to the last scene, it's the last 15 minutes where it's actually Swan Lake. I feel like that could easily be like just not a good part of the movie. And yet it was the best part. So, yeah, yeah I really like this movie a lot. And I'm excited to hear what Nick thinks about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for mm-hmm. that handoff. Uh, I also, like Alex, saw this in the theater um, with no real expectations. I think it was around the time when I was really starting to, maybe maybe a year or so after, after I started devouring things like the Criterion Collection and whatnot. So I was very young little cinephile. And I yeah. also very much enjoyed this in the theater. I have not watched this since. So mm. that's 2010? Yeah, it's so almost, that's almost a decade. Almost, yes, yeah. a decade. Um, I will say... 
it did not move me as much as it did 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a visceral experience, that's still a lot of fun to watch. I don't mean that in, like, joyful fun, but <laughs> just the craft and the camera work and um, some of the surreal imagery and whatnot, it does, like you said, flow together nicely. Eh? Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, uh, Natalie Perf- Portman's performance is still fantastic, as is most performances in this movie, but that one, obviously, in particular, um, that did hold up completely, I thought. Like, mm-hmm. I, I was kind of surprised. Um, but that part of the movie is pretty much, for me, what carries the movie. Mm. Um, I will say, I'm one thing I'm lukewarm on this time around is the sanity melding of reality and uh, fantasy, so to speak, because I think it's a neat trick while you're watching the film. Like, you know, Milo Kun is showing up at the door after the first act, and, you know, in your headspace as a viewer, having to reconcile that with what you saw before, and just like she does, whatever. I... I don't know how I, I it something about this movie slightly troubles me um having just watched it with regards to this kind of fantastical odyssey she goes on because in my opinion when you kind of almost hit the nail on the head Alex when you said that this movie kind of wants you to or almost gets you to sympathize with Vincent Cassell's character mm-hmm. and I think that because this movie is kind of like a form of gaslighting we are told repeatedly that we cannot trust Natalie Portman, and we are also shown Vincent Cassell, um, when he's not being a dick, to be a creative genius, or at least we're being told that he is. I don't know if we're being shown that, but yeah. in general, you know. Um, and I felt like this movie was kind of, if you take it at face value and you actually take it for its word and, and what it presents, at the end of the day, by the time you get to that final scene, I feel like you're supposed to accept one of two things, which is that either A, whatever happened to her was worth it, or B, what she thought happened to her didn't even happen to her. Like, maybe she wasn't, like, maybe Vincent Cassell, maybe is a prick, but maybe he never once laid a hand on her. If that could happen with Milo Kunis, why couldn't it have happened with him? And if that's the case... This is a weird movie to watch in 2019. Um, (laughs) To have a movie center around a woman who's constantly being abused, at least from the objective third person of the camera and watching it, um, and yet being abused for the sake of art, and yet one relief you could technically take away from it is that, well, maybe it didn't even happen. And I feel like the movie itself doesn't have a clear answer as to what's real and what's not and I don't mean that it doesn't present a clear answer because you don't ambiguity is great in cinema but I don't think I, th- I think it I think the film makes it pretty clear that she definitely is like bleeding from the stomach at the end of the film okay. oh absolutely but then I'm talking everything before that though yeah. like um, you know did Milo Kunis stay the night? I could see a version of reality where she actually did do that but she was mm-hmm. kind of just being a bitch and like left her yeah um I, and obviously, I see the opposite too. As far as she ended up in the bathroom with a random guy, so obviously she's prone to just so, showing up. With I, other I will people. say, I'm I'm definitely like reading into what you're saying and, and interested in that, and, and definitely think that that's a very valid reading of, of this. But I think going back to what my initial one of my initial comments about the film that makes it such a fantastic film is that like I could easily go against that argument and just say that. 
yes, if you watch this film at face value for the actual actions that are happening on screen, like that is 100% something of it. But you look at the story of Swan Lake that's always in the background for everything that's happening throughout this film. Um, and when those meld together, it equals this really just bizarre, fantastical, uh, real-life characterization of all of these different real people in this world. Well, real people, but really people in, that are living in this. And it it just equals this really hazy, um, bizarre thing. that, that um, And you were hitting on the camera work, and there's some fabulous camera work. And also kind of hazy sound editing that's done throughout this film that if you're just watching it for the first time, you could be like, what the fuck's going on? Like, is the theater broken or, or is my sound yeah. not working? But yeah, uh, the volume it, levels in this movie is out of control. Move up. Oh, moves up. Because, and down. like, it can be the loudest thing ever. And, and it could have, it could have just been shitty filmmaking, but at the same time, there's an explanation it, of saying that, yeah. well, this actually does fit in very much with this very surrealistic, uh, just portrayal we're seeing of it. Um, and I, I think ultimately that's what, turns me around on what you're saying is that i'm i I don't think that that's a bad reading of it because i do think that the idea of her sanity being put into question is is actually a real thing here too but i take it as it is putting put into question because it should be because she's playing this character that is just this fantastical character from this story from hundreds of years ago uh, that gets turned into a fucking swan and has to go out and do all these fucking dances to try to turn back into a real person again. Like it's mm-hmm. just yeah, that's yeah. The, that's one of the things I love about the film the most. So and yeah. I definitely see that. I, I'll say for the movie's credit as to what I'm alluding to just now is that okay. I'm reacting to a movie that I just watched ten minutes ago for the first time in over a decade. So yeah. most of everything I'm saying is literally just me thinking out loud and mulling over how I feel. Um because in A, I still think it's a good movie. Um mm-hmm. but it just kinda crept up on me. And I think what is the nail on the coffin as to why it's kind of sticking in my head and not like evaporating upon just thinking about it is because of the line that Vincent Cassell says to her of uh uh, the only thing standing in the way is you. If he is an abuser, <laughs> yeah. and if she is crazy, uh, there's just something about that line that seems like Darren Aronofsky doesn't understand <laughs> trauma and um, how it is not poetic. And because you can make a movie about art and art imitating life, and you know what you put into art, like like Whiplash, uh, which is a movie I think is similar to this in the sense that you have a person giving their all into an art form at the expense of what, you know, and that's the question. And I think in that movie, I feel like that's why you can come out of that movie. And unfortunately, some people can come out of that movie and say, like, it makes perfect sense. You have to. And other people can come out and say, like, that's fucked up. You shouldn't. But it doesn't change what happened in that movie. Whereas here, the surreality just sometimes muddles some of the problematic aspects of how things like abuse and trauma is being represented here. Um, I'm going to move on from that and just say, at least for now, just say that um, these are fantastic performances. Uh, This is a Darren Aronofsky film that I find tolerable, which (laughs) is a feat in and of itself. Um, I think everything he says in this movie, he said it in The Wrestler, because, I mean, that is very much a movie about a person... um, giving themselves over to their art uh, in a way that ultimately does 
do's duns. <laughs> Ultimately kills them, essentially. So. Were you trying to say does them in? Yeah, I was okay. trying to, yeah, that's where I was going with that, but I'm do's like, I don't, don't know. kills them. Do's 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 do's. But yeah, and like the literal blood sacrifice uh, some artists have to make if that's the one thing that they're passionate about and is the only thing maybe that they can do or whatever. Um, I just rewatching this, I was I I was kind of making jokes about it, but like, man, is the wrestler like a fluke? Like, was that like a Toby Hooper situation? Was like Steven Spielberg on the set with him or somebody? Else? You know, just because I just don't understand how for one film, and I'm not even saying just quality, but like, obviously, that might be my favorite Darren Aronofsky film, but, like, every other film he's made is in this wheelhouse, and so I'm just trying to figure out how that even happened, but I'm so glad it did. Um, but my general this thoughts is, is that this is, a, this is a good movie when it's good. I just don't know that it had the shocking power that it had on me when I was 10 years ago and had no idea what I was seeing in the theater. So here's here's the only – and I'm not saying that there's anything bad about The Wrestler – because well, I really enjoy The Wrestler, too. Yeah. Darren Aronofsky rubs a lot of people the wrong way, mm-hmm. and I think that that's not necessarily incorrect. <laughs> um, a lot of the things in this movie are in Mother. Yeah. And yet, sure. like, there's, a, in my opinion, yeah. <laughs> uh, a world of difference between what a, done right and done wrong. Even well, the poster design kind of has the same concept. Like, the DVD cover, it's like yeah. the zoom in on the main character's face and then... S- slight chipped flaws mm-hmm. so i thought that yeah was it's kind of a weird picturesque thing crumbling yeah, in some way. The, yeah. exactly the, the weird difference that i'll say about this and mother um and i i think they are pretty different if i i've only seen mother the one so i, I mean they are different that's why one works yeah, and one yeah. Exactly. i just meant it's clear the same filmmaker made yeah this film and that film for me i was gonna say there there's a there's not a connection between the art and the story in Mother. It's like fighting with each other the whole time where this weaves together, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. What yeah I, that's a good point. I would agree with what that. What I was going to say about The Wrestler is that's a film that stars a man. Um, and I mean, that's why I like it more. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I I guess I'm I, what I'm getting at is that Aronofsky, like, I, I don't Maybe know him. slightly more in tune with how a male thinks. And has not as much uh, empathy or sympathy well, for I think a female. Being able mind to create space. a protagonist that's a man as opposed to a female, which yeah. are not to mention this movie talk about. was yeah. written by three men, directed by another man. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas, uh, anyway, that was the wrestler was just a script by uh, one dude being directed by Darren. Um, yeah, it's but, yeah. Uh, but the wrestler is just fantastic. It's There's really one. and it's Mickey Rourke making a comeback performance. And I will say the casting in that does go a long way yeah. because obviously that was a he and Evan Rachel Wood are both very good in that film. Yeah, you ever so. seen the? You said no. No, I hadn't, but I would really like to. It is, um, yeah. If, if, especially if you've ever <laughs> seen any videos of underground wrestling and the lifestyle that that is, that's just pretty yeah. much just. What, shot for shot, whatever real life. whatever this is to dancing and company, like that movie is a hundred million times more in just recreating the actual like backstage look, feel, mm-hmm. uh, culture. 
of has-been wrestlers trying to hang on for a couple hundred bucks a night. Very depressing con uh, autograph signings and, you know, whatnot. And even just, like, workshop talk of, like, how they're going to do whatever trick during their next match, like put the razor blade on their wrist, you know, whatever they have to do. And all of it's... It, it just takes the glamour out of something that is so over, uh, not hype, but over, because I'm not even mean that in the pejorative, but wrestling is very much a hoorah type spectacle sport. No, but it, and it, yet in the backstage, it's a lot of people just get, like whispering and be like, all right, when we go out there. There is an interesting this. parallel between that and uh, this film, yeah. because there is definitely a age slash popularity barrier that exists now it's not quite as abrupt as it is and that's another thing that i think makes black swan fantastic yeah as that the idea that as soon as you basically hit 25 like you're done yeah uh one random last comparison between the two but i do think they have similarities oh yeah uh is that it's kind of interesting because black swan is uh in slight in some ways the inverse of the wrestler whereas in Black Swan, it's depicting a culture in which when they're on stage together, they're supposed to be in perfect syn- uh, synchronicity. And obviously, um, even though they're playing characters, they're supposed to be all together, whatever, har- basically harmonious. Uh, and yet backstage, it's like just diva-esque and very competitive and whatnot. Whereas in The Wrestler, the, the irony of that culture, as presented in that movie at least, is that these people who go out and fight each other for a living and pretend to hate each other like they go in the back, like they just have the most utmost camaraderie because they're all in this shitty job together. Mm. <laughs> so anyway. Well, they're also all like hanging out in the back of an elementary school and yeah. going into the gymnasium to, you know, all these fans that are coming out who were fans of them 20 years ago when they were yeah. at the top of the WWF. Yep. And, and even... Um, in in the wrestler, Mickey Rourke's character lives in this shitty trailer, and he's got like the posters up from when he was in like headlining pay per views for the big wrestling promotions. He still has his own. He he's, has his all he all he has is he has like an old like first generation Nintendo, and he has the video game that he was on, and that's yes. the only game he'll play. Yes. And all these kids, and he the... barely knows how to play, right? But he has it, and he has he to, always there. has to play as himself. Yeah. Like it is the way he yeah. gets slightly depressed when the little kids gotta go. After they're done yeah. playing, it's just like, oh, anyway. It's, anyway, it's it, just... and there's uh, there's there's a lot more to it than just vanity in oh, the film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it, it it is especially the relationship between Natalie Portman and Barbara Hershey's character, her mother. Uh, mother, sorry, <laughs> Tucson's not here to yeah, interject with I that. I almost said that earlier, but I didn't. Yeah, but I'm, I'm glad you filled in for him, though. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. there's there's no real filling in for him. He's one of a kind. <laughs> In a good way. That's true. I'm not, I'm not saying that in a bad way. Uh, so their relationship, I think, is actually pretty fantastic throughout this because it is a little horrifying. And at the same time, there's this, like, I don't know why, like, every time I've seen this, I've thought it less and less. So I'm, like, not positive. But there's, to me, always been this weird, like, sexually abusive undertone between her mother and herself that I've always picked up on. And I don't necessarily know if it's true, but just the idea of her like treating her like a little girl and pretty much trapping her in the house. Anytime that she's not at practice for dance is really creepy. And I mean, the drawings are creepy as fuck too, but the, the sexual scenes and, and the weird, 
uh, sort of feelings that she has when she's having all the sexual experiences and her mother always keeps showing up. It's just, it's just really creepy and it gives me a lot of weird vibes. But what I like about the film is that's just my reading of it. It's very restrained. There's no yeah. like, over-the-top explanation to that. Like That's just something that like I picked up on just because of all the little details that pop up. Can I say an interesting reading of this movie that while I don't subscribe to, I found this to be kind of fascinating. Hmm. When I saw this movie for the first time in the theater, I went with my brother, and I my brother barely ever went to the theater, and especially the older he got. Like, I, I go to the movies to this day with my parents, like, mm-hmm. all the time, and my brother usually sat that kind of stuff out. But he ended up going to see this. At the time, he was in college to be, he was majoring in special education, because that's what he thought he was going to do. So he was very much in that mode. And I thought it was kind of fascinating that when he left the theater, and the more I think about it, while I don't agree with it, I also don't really disagree with this. Um, He saw it through that lens, and he like he left this movie basically kind of interpreting that like well what if Natalie Portman's character like her mother's not crazy at all and Natalie Portman has always shown signs of kind of insanity so she's always been overprotective of her because of that and she and my brother said I some of the way Barbara Hershey's character was portrayed and I think in that restraint was almost like telltale signs of parents who have children with disability where Hmm. if you don't know the history it looks like one thing when in reality it's you know to stop them from harming themselves and when I kind of that memory came back up when I was rewatching it and Hmm. I actually kind of got that vibe a little bit this time around when she was watching her in the performance uh, during the final 15 minutes. And I felt like she was crying because she was kind of like, you know, like, yeah, this is the final. Like, she's the only one who understood what was happening. Uh, now, in a surreal way, like, yeah, like a parent shouldn't just be like, yeah, you go die, girl. Um, <laughs> now, on the other hand, But in though, that kind of letting go uh, thing. Well, now, on the, on the other that's hand... That's not the only way that could be read. Well, I was yeah. going to say, I feel like that could still be true, but Barbara Hershey is Hershey, Barbara Hershey, pardon me, is also like there. It's undeniable that she is just continuing on with a lot of this. Like, if indeed that is the case, and she is just trying to, to protect her, yeah. why is she going about it in this particular way? True. And why is she encouraging her to like meet up with Vincent Cassell's character and all that kind of True. thing? True. Now, I will say that's dead on, and that's why, for the most part, I don't think that's. Like it's definitely not my predominant interpretation mm-hmm. of the movie, but one other little scene that kind of, kind of made me once again kind of remember that was, I do find it fascinating for a character who's so controlling and so like intense about her daughter being into this, you know, whatever. That the day of, she'd rather have her daughter just rest because her health seemed more important uh, than actually getting to the show, which like. For that to happen at that moment, it kind of goes against everything we've been told that Natalie Portman has been rebelling against. Um, so I just found that kind of fascinating. Yeah. So anyway. Um, I like that point of view a lot because like Alex was saying, like there are lots of things about Barbara Hershey's character that are very ambu- ambiguous that to the audience we can only assume like so many things such as like, I guess we can assume that after... Um, Barbara Hershey had Natalie Portman and she thus had to retire from dance like is she an artist is that why she keeps drawing the same portrait over and over again of her daughter like or can she never leave the house because she's always got to watch her daughter exactly so or, she or will she never leave the house right. because she has to watch her daughter <gasps> yeah 
Or. I got nothing. And then her mom reacting very poorly when Natalie Portman was like, oh, I really shouldn't eat all that cake that you just bought, even though it's beautiful. I'm sorry, I can't have it. And her mom just getting furiously angry and almost completely throwing it in the trash. So, I mean, I like that perspective a lot, Nick. But yeah, the the illusions when it came to like the sexual scenes and then her mom showing up, like that kind of shows a different side of it too. And that's definitely not accidental. No, but it, it, um, the fact that that it is super ambiguous and the viewer can just fill that void with whatever they want um, is, is pretty fantastic yeah. in this film. Yeah. That's what I was, that's kind of why I'm so positive about this movie, which is that I was surprised that when I rewatched it, despite if I didn't really like it as much as I definitely did back then, I was surprised that like that kind of interpretation in no way was dispelled watching it a second hmm. time. Like it, it does the surreality, even if I think it gets in the way of the message it does enhance the experience and I would say the thematic resonance of just what you want out of a movie like this. Um, Cause I definitely think there's a lot of threads here. Um, I also say I'm more, I kind of wish we had a little bit more from the mother, not like more as far as like more concrete answers or anything like that, but for such a big presence in her life, by the time the final act goes, she is kind of relegated to just being a, a literal member of the audience and Vincent Cassell seems like a more important figure in her life, which I'm not saying I don't understand the possible thematic uh, suggestion of that kind of uh, posterity. Uh, but I guess I'm slightly more interested in a mother uh, having a grueling uh, living situation with her maybe crazy daughter than I am with a guy who just takes advantage of a girl for art. Yeah. Um, I actually think it's... That's the one part I just don't think that has aged as well. No, and you, you're you're actually probably right on that. But I do think the final image of her being surrounded by Vincent Cassell and all the other dancers, um, and then not having the mother there and not necessarily knowing what's happening and it being backstage behind the scenes of all this that's happening as she's literally looking into the lights as they are getting bright as she's dying uh on the on the you know i I think it it you know is there and it is very easy to understand but all at the same time i think it's it's also fantastic yeah yeah so what did we think about the scene where she goes and gets drugged and then has a thing about being drugged but she clearly knew that what that was happening and then she takes an opinion after that because that's a very interesting part of this film to me because I actually do think that the editing in that sequence is fantastic the dance sequence because there's so much happening in split editing sequences but at the same time like there's this like anger afterwards when she meets with Mila Kunis's character when she's like you drugged me but at the same time like she saw it and she also made mention of it and she's like so well only last two hours she's like yeah she's like okay I don't know well I think the anger I will say is more just placed at like she thought she was with her so yeah if she was still feeling it she was in a safe position because she wouldn't be putting Natalie Portman's character in a situation that she herself wouldn't want to be in, and yet waking up without her dispels the myth of, you know, that kind of uh, just relationship that she thought she had. Yeah. Obviously, then we're led to uh, wonder if it ever happened at all. In the first place, yeah. Yeah, Um, Because 
if she can envision doing weird things with her, she could also envision a conversation. So I could also see that conversation of her saying, I never did that. Yeah. Also being fake. So, you know, I think personally, while I could understand the easiest interpretation or the one that makes the most sense being that that conversation is real and Mm. the bedroom scene is where it's surreal. Um, uh, it's still, I think, ambiguous enough where you can go either way. But I think that scene in general, um, I think it's leaning into the whole trope of, you know, Vincent Cassell trying to tell her to let herself go mm-hmm. and whatnot. So I think it's kind of interesting that, I, I guess I would say in a more interesting movie, there would be consequences for that kind of night. But in this movie, there really isn't. Um it's kind of this weird, freaky, think, freaky, deaky thing that happens, uh, but then a lot of other fucked up things that happen later have nothing to do with that night. Yeah, the only real consequences is that's what really relates to the strained relationship with her mother. True. But, True. But yes, but that's basically it. So really quickly, then let's just play what happened that night. If mm-hmm. it wasn't Milo Kunis, what did her mother see that night? Just her and a random dude, or? Her, just her, just in probably general. just her, just, her just all masturbating in the kitchen. Probably just I mean, her I'm all genuinely d- like, yeah, uh, yep. Probably just her all drugged up and then like stumbling to her bedroom. Yeah, or yeah. maybe they got into a fight or something. Yeah, who knows? That's true. Could be. So. Yeah, there are a lot of things that happen um, in the in the basically after that scene and then moving forward between that and then when the final performance happens um, that are you could take into question, did this actually happen or did it happen in the actual way? Like her slamming the door on her fingers. Like, it seems like that's pretty clear that that happened, but at the same time, that is like, it's fucked up. Mm -hmm. I think also, um, to answer your initial question, I Mm -hmm. think up until that point of the movie, like Vincent Cassell had kept asking her all of these personal questions of like things. Natalie Portman has never done. And then like earlier in that evening, it was like, oh, you've never rolled before. And so, like, I think by Natalie Portman seeing that Mila Kunis was drugging the drink, she was like, okay, fine, I guess I'll finally do it. And then the following conversation, she can still, like, technically blame someone for something she quote-unquote didn't do. She likes to play the victim. Exactly. Which, in a movie like this, is, once again, slightly troubling if that's art, anyway. Well, at the same, you're really onto something there because the idea of her being offered the pill in the first place and then her refusing that and saying, I'm not going to take that, and mm-hmm. then being forced into it and just saying, like, oh, I guess so. Like, it is just another example of what earlier happened with Vincent Cassell uh, and what happens throughout the entire film mm-hmm. of, you know, her, you know, her continuously being told, you need to do these things on your own. You need to, you know, want to do these type of things right like the the phrase of let yourself go mm. and that was just her like doing that like off stage so to speak so that's yeah. what i think yeah there are some there there are some really weird coming of age things happening here too which is weird because all these people are adults but at the same time <laughs> there's there's this idea of of uh, and and i think that might be also something too with just ballet I- acting in general of this idea of of people becoming their own thing, but because they're ne- they've never been allowed to be real adults up until then, anyways. I was gonna say exactly that. I want to say it's 
similar to the culture of like gymnastics like gymnastics mm. and like Ooh, dance God, gymnastics is a bad place right now exactly gymnastics oh, like dance like yeah. ballerina <laughs> like that the culture growing up for young people is like that is your life you go to school you go to your activity and then you eat and you sleep and literally that is it and so like natalie portman having never been out to a club and probably <laughs> never have have had having an unsupervised conversation socially say, never been out with other people <laughs> exactly because we can i mean not to say that she like has no social skills because clearly she does we can assume that like dance is her social life so uh, t- to some degree i'm not surprised that coming of age things are happening to someone that's like 22 the the god the fucked up thing you just mentioned about the gymnastics thing like like i was alluding to earlier when we were talking about the film while we were watching it like the kind of people like Vincent Cassell, and I mean, it's a totally different, it's a real person and a mm-hmm. real person that was allowed to do these things to hundreds of people that were children, like not adults and not to excuse what Vincent Cassell's character does, but somebody like Larry Nasser uh, at Michigan State and USA Gymnastics, like it's really unfortunate and terrible, but it's just really easy to see how these people could get away with this for so long. Absolutely, because the your superiors, like you're you're basically taught to just you're taught to trust them. It's not that it like being taught it is first and then feeling it intrinsically comes second and then that's what happened with Vincent Cassell. And then there's even a scene where Natalie Portman is just stressed out from having a terrible day and Mila Kunis shows up and Natalie Portman's like, he's brilliant. And Mila Kunis says, no, he's a prick. So that's like pretty much embodying what exactly you're saying. Well, when she finds out that she has been picked to be the Swan Queen and her mom calls her and we know this because it says mom on the entire screen on her cell phone. (laughs) So that was something. Um, so her mom calls her and she's crying in the way, the way she says it. She doesn't say like, I got the part mm-hmm. or she says, he picked me, mommy. That's kind of fucked up. Yeah. Even the way, like, that's the thing is that her whole demeanor throughout this movie, I feel like the parts where Natalie Portman is just in herself, like, someone who's still working so hard and on the outside still hasn't grown up to be like an assertive person that wants to be the swan queen. She says stuff like he picked me mommy, not I'm the lead on in Swan Lake, you know? So it's just some parts of her, her script choice rather was just a would little call annoying. Me little princess. That's Ex- only bad. Oh yeah. No, I mean, exactly. That's... Yeah. And so like, even the way he talks to grown women, like mm-hmm. what the fork? And I think <laughs> for me, that's kind of what I was also alluding to earlier, which is that I have no problem with those kind of script choices in the sense that I, you know, you can tell a movie about an abusive man as an asshole, you know, whatever. But I think ultimately with like with that final scene of this film is that this is a tragedy that is trying to say something beautiful about art. Hmm. And I don't know that that set of uh, Russian dolls really fits in each other. I think in the way that this particular script. I think my my feeling on it, though, is that. This film ends by saying you can create all of these beautiful feelings that you want at what cost? Right. As you like, 
films, you literally have to kill yourself to give a great performance in the top. I mean, it's a little on the nose, but I mean, that's basically yeah. what this film is saying. And yes, like, I think that's a very, and even for Aronofsky, like, I think that's a very clear distinction when she goes up and like, just pretty much starts making out with Vincent Cassell during the performance, which is, you know, for all the other dancers is probably really uncomfortable. Um, (laughs) But, but, um, it's very clear that she is the black swan when that's happening. And that Natalie Portman's character would never want to do that or do that. And she's just doing this because she's now given herself over to this, um, idea of what, uh, these, old men think that she should be doing to be this performer. Yeah, I, I will say that's something we haven't really talked about yet, so we can talk about this now, which is the kind of doppelganger aspect of her duality, which yeah. is that like she kind of has a... The, the movie manifests her black swan self, uh, so to speak, her good versus bad uh, idealization of herself as being a whole dissociative other person, you know. And obviously on the surface, that's, I would think, the most general consensus would just be that's her way of insanely coping with the fact that, you know, she's a human being, so she's infallible, she can have dark thoughts, she can do dark things, whatever. Um, But I find it interesting because sometimes that black swan or whatever... Uh, you know, I don't know why yeah. when you just said it like that. All I could think of was Billy Madison. Swan, <laughs> stop looking at me, Swan. <laughs> um, so sorry. No, no, no. Got some Sandman on the brain because <laughs> he just hosted SNL. I recorded and didn't watch any of it. Was it any good? Um, every once in a while, I thought it was. I mean, for you know, modern SNL, um, it was very nostalgic, and I think that was the right way to go because I don't know that you should do anything new with Adam Sandler. Um, but I will say the Chris Farley tribute was amazing. Um, yeah, that's what I've heard. I gotta watch sings that. Sings the Chris Farley song, and uh, yep, it was just chilling and really sweet because it was not to get off on a tangent. Hmm? Probably the only time we'll ever talk about it. So <laughs> um, we don't do a lot of Adam Sandler movies on this no. podcast. So. <laughs> Though we might one day. Ah. There's, well, I'm saying there's always a chance for me to uh, force. Oh, maybe that'll be... Uh, uh, the Ridiculous Six will be something that you want to... No, I was going to say Punch Drunk Love. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but his tribute to Chris Farley, um, where he performed that song, was really sweet because it... It's hard to explain, but basically it was lightly funny um, in the sense he had a few good rhymes and whatnot, and yet it was really just a song about missing him, and yet it did address how he passed. And like, I, I thought it was just great because it was neither preachy nor was it uh, pretending <laughs> anything else happened. But, um, mm. you know, there's a line in the song where he's like, we all told it, we all told you that you were going to be, you, you would end up, you, you don't want to end up, there we go. <laughs> uh, you don't want to end up like Belushi and um, Candy and, 
of course, your reply was, why not? They're my idol. You know, and it just had that tinge of sadness, but also reality to it. Anyway, yeah. that was fantastic, and there were a few good moments uh, peppered throughout. I'd actually say it's worth fast-forwarding through and okay. watching whatever catches your eye. There's a really stupid <laughs> sketch. This is movie-related. Oh, okay. Stupid sketch that I did end up watching the whole thing, because if <laughs> you're a movie buff, you gotta... Mm-hmm. There's a really stupid sketch called the Sandler Family Reunion, where mm-hmm. Adam Sandler goes to his family reunion, and everybody there is a character from an Adam Sandler movie, and they're all like, yeah, you clearly base this off of, or the water boy off of me, right? And they're dressed like Bobby Boucher and doing the, and everybody's doing their own uh, impression of a character. And I will say this, Pete Davidson did a very stupid little Nicky impression. And while I hate that movie, the idea of a person having to do an impression of little Nicky uh, kind of made me laugh in that, oh, how the mighty have fallen. Anyway, mm. um, so anyway, it was worth it's watching. It's been a rough year for Pete Davidson. Has it? <laughs> I never we, cared for him. Uh, I always say that because we're talking about Pete Davidson this year. We weren't last year or right. the year before. Oh, people were talking about him last year. Well, I mean, Not I know the year before the, that. I'm talking like 365 days from now. And oh, I don't okay. mean like the calendar year. Gotcha. But just in general, like, I mean, you I, know. I guess the idea of, of I mean, I'm with you in this being known for something is better than nothing, I guess, if you're wanting to be famous. Well, but at the same time, like. I always say that because he's been rehabilitated his image almost like simultaneously as his image is like you know crashing because hmm. he's had some of the best some of the only moments I've watched from this entire season of SNL has been his weekend update appearances where Lauren apparently is okay with him just going out there and be like yeah so I know a lot of you saw on the news about this thing that I did so I'm just here to explain it and he's actually I find him funny and I find him to be a good advocate for mental health hmm. awareness um, and, uh, like his whole, uh, spiel on R. Kelly and how, like, <laughs> R. Kelly is a horrible piece of shit and it's insane that anyone would, like, you know, celebrate him and want him to get out of jail. And then he's like, does that stop me from bopping to Ignition Remix? No, it's the freaking weekend and <laughs> I'm in it, whatever. But he ended that by saying, but I do think we could all do a little bit to whatever so every time i play that on my ipod i donate a dollar to yeah so like um i, I guess you're smiling like maybe he's lying about that oh no no oh, okay I'm, I'm 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 there's a lot happening there okay so, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then he made the joke like i've already lost 129 dollars this <laughs> week you know but anyway i don't know i i feel like when he's being pete davison i actually am okay with him but i can understand why he would rub people the wrong way i don't think he's very funny that's fair yeah. I don't think he thinks he's very funny mm-hmm. in the sense that he laughed at his own joke, but I think it's more just like, I can't believe that they're still letting me. He's not like Jimmy Fallon. Like, no. It, oh, that was funny. Yeah. Like Jimmy Fallon <laughs> finds bliss in cancer. Like <laughs> I'm just saying like the way that that guy operates, whereas I feel like Pete <laughs> Davidson does like literally laugh at his own jokes, but it's more like he's, assuming like someone like Lauren Michaels or whatever will pull the plug on his career at any minute after anything that comes out of his mouth, which mm-hmm. is a fair assumption, but so far it hasn't. Hmm. But anyway, uh, we were talking about Black Swan. Yes, we were. Um, I... Starring Pete Davidson. <laughs> he wishes. Um... <laughs> I don't know that he does. <laughs> I had a question for the both of you, specifically about Winona Ryder's character of Beth in this mm-hmm. movie. Now, she had, yes, 
Yeah. So Nick did the uh, stabbing in the neck motion with the. Oh, it was um, in the cheeks. Yeah, stabbing in the cheek motion. That's I've never seen someone. That's get the sound you heard. You don't see that. Yeah. In, it actually looked pretty good too. It did, didn't it? In a sadistic kind of way. Yeah. Okay, so she has a very small part in this movie, but it is narratively significant in terms of Natalie Portman's character becoming the White Swan. Natalie Portman's trying to steal from Winona Ryder. Apparently. so Something that Winona knows about. Right. So sorry. the way that she That was she's, a low blow. I'm sorry. That's okay. The no? W- nothing? I didn't actually hear what you said. Oh, I pulled I, the Tucson and I looked at my phone for one moment. Uh, okay, I said... Oh, yeah. I, I, did I made a reference about when on a writer stealing things? Oh, my oh. God. <laughs> that's fine. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's fine. Sorry. She Please continue. It's not a low blow know. because it's it's a low blow. It's a low blow because America has made it a low blow. Somehow that that is the worst thing possible, and yet no. I mean, I thought it was a yeah. It was, it was a fun little thing because it, it is definitely part of her career. Oh, yeah, no, I mean it's unfortunate. Like yeah. she's infamous for it, but yes, yep. Please, anyway, please. I'm, so... I, I'm so sorry that I keep. Yep, <laughs> that's okay. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> that's okay. So, um, the way that we're introduced to her in this movie is her just destroying her dressing room and then just storming out and yelling at Allie Portman and Allie Porton and like take some of her things and then she shows up rather she's a guest at a, a ball that like introduces the the new production of Black Swan and Vincent Cassell says Beth is retiring at the end of this season thank you so much and then she uh leaves during the announcement very upset and then announces uh Natalie Portman as the new main swan and then later Natalie Portman is confronted by Winona Ryder and who is very clearly upset and accuses Natalie Portman of like sleeping with Vincent Cancel to get the part and is very just distraught at this Natalie Portman's like I didn't do anything like mm-hmm. that. Um, and then later, uh, Winona Ryder throws herself in front of a car. So what <laughs> I'm wondering is it seems that throughout her emotional reactions, she isn't actually retiring. I'm wondering if she was like asked to leave the production. Oh, no. She was forced out. She was forced out. Oh, yeah. Okay. This whole retirement very, thing. Very clearly, I did not put oh, two and two no, together. This, this, no, the, the, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, the the retirement thing is like trying to make it seem like it's the. Although you know what, that's kind of fucked up because he is trying to make it seem like you know trying to go out with class and whatever, but he's also trying to make it seem like she's the one who's deciding to do this and not him. So yeah. it's really fucked up. But yeah, no, she is obviously has no interest she'd like to continue going on but you know she's now in her you know comfortably in her 30s she cannot be the lead in there anymore because they don't expect stranger things have happened and uh, (laughs) oh snap hey no but uh, um yeah she's being sent away Gotcha. Okay, so that's what's happening that's why she ended up in the hospital well well, i mean Another another literal moment of this film is she does cannot dance anymore. So why does she need her legs anymore? Yeah, isn't that's pretty symbolic? Yeah, it's also I mean, 
unfortunately, I mean, the idea of of young girls or or young young boys could be, I guess, but young girls for the most part. I feel like you just barely getting out the phrase young boys was the most uncomfortable I've ever seen you. <laughs> really? Young girls are young boys. Why did I become a Texan then? Young boys. Oh my. Um <laughs> No, but I mean in all honesty, young girls dancing, doing ballet, I mean They've been doing this probably since they were little children. Yep. Um, you and, were told this was your life. And you didn't realize your life also had 50 years of nothing after. Well, like none of these girls have gone to college. None of these girls probably planned. Had, had any other job. No. They, they've and, uh, They're all aware probably that at some point like it's going to be over and as soon as it's over, like, it's over. Like, you are done. Yeah. There's no discussion. You're out, and basically you're out of a job. And it, it's just, like, it's got to be just the worst because it's just some fucking guy who doesn't dance or do anything just being like, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I will say it was <laughs> this movie was pretty uh, kind of interesting. I would say in almost any other movie of its ilk. At one point, you would have seen a scene of Vincent Cassell, like, saying, no, let me show you how to do this move or whatever. But l- this guy, from the text that we're given in this movie, cannot dance. No, he whatsoever. is. <laughs> exactly. He is, like, you know. He is Steve Jobs. Yeah. He, he does this not is, do anything. He just tells people what to do. Yeah. And I yeah. kind of, I do love that aspect of it, that we never see him do it, which is quite literally. I don't, I don't think he can. Yeah. No. And I, mm-hmm. I think that's a fair assumption. And um, for obvious reason but I, I just love that that's made literal as far as the absence of that that he is just a person who has nothing to offer and yet he's the only one who can offer it <laughs> yeah but now um Winona Ryder's character uh, although very much my, I mean she's probably in screen for three and a half minutes in this movie but uh, I do think that while important she is also just like that bridge to Natalie Portman just going on to the next part of it. But I do think it is very interesting that she actually goes back later in the film to try to give back uh, the makeup after that. Yeah. And because at, at that point, well, like, she was probably like, you're a cripple. You need this. Now. Oh God. Or uh, she probably like felt guilty or something. Um, but one thing I do love um, in that particular scene it doesn't really involve Winona Ryder, but one of my favorite edits of this entire film, and there are quite a few that are really good, um, but Winona Ryder is constantly, is, is just stabbing herself in the face with the, the filing, uh, yeah. I believe it is. Nail file? Yeah, with the nail file, and it, it, it is it, it is a pretty... File that under... <laughs> <laughs> it is pretty good uh, in terms of just the way it's edited and the way it looks like it actually does not look hilariously bad like i could see like you know somebody like the guy who directed jurassic park fallen kingdom being like turned loose and just having cgi blood coming out of her face and being oh god but anyways um the edit of her running to the elevator and then trying to push the button and the file being in her hand with all the blood on is just fantastic yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i like all of the shots in this movie where natalie portman like sees something off and yet she's the only one who sees it so like she's the only one that sees Winona Ryder's face turn into her own face Mm -hmm. and then she's the only one 
um, that sees like the reflection of herself in the mirror, like as dressed in Winona Ryder's clothes. And then and she's the only one who probably sees her eyes being red or, yeah. or the, you know, or hears the sound effect of the feathers uh, as she's going across the stage. I mean, there, yeah. there's, there's a lot happening. That's just her and the audience that are in on it. And she's the only one who sees, why are you giving me that face? Because I I, I I feel like you were teeing up something stupid. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> how wrong you are. Uh, I was gonna say she's the only one who sees herself eating herself out. <laughs> God. Signed, sealed, and delivered. That's right. Uh. Thank you. Bet you feel pretty dumb right now. Ah. <laughs> 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 Yeah, that's uh, that's her face right there. Sure is. <laughs> How did I get down there? I don't know. Nobody was saying anything, so <laughs> I decided that Harry Carey would be performing Cunnilingus. Oh, hey, everybody! Come and take a look at this! How did you get down there? Holy cow! Uh. Uh. Is there like a box of cracker jack? Is there a prize in there? Why is he Jewish? <laughs> Why can't he be? Dachi, come look at this. This is the worst Harry Carey performance. God damn it. It's, it's, pronou- so, it's pronounced imp- Harry Carey. <laughs> it, sounded, it sounded a little more like Doc Brown, I gotta tell you. Body! Yeah, that's Body! Fair. All right. Why are you friends with this seventy-year-old man? What's going on? Didn't you have like the ease pussy? <laughs> Doc Brown. Doc. Yeah. Doc Brown is a time traveler and nuclear physicist and renowned pussy eater. Okay. You think that he invented time travel and he's not going back in time and <laughs> doing what? Ask Ted Danson's wife. Isn't she uh, in the third? Isn't that Mary? Yeah. Yeah. Steenburgen? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's Ted Danson's wife in real life. Oh, I knew that. Yeah. Don't they have like a little fling? No. Maybe. I meant in the movie. Yes. Okay. She's the one who um, wins his heart over and he doesn't want to travel through time anymore. Why do you think (laughs) she was into him? Why do you think she gave up time travel? I don't know, because he could make ice cubes and live in the no. 1800s? No, 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 Wow, I used to really enjoy drinking water, but if it's cold, this is awesome. Yeah. No, it's really because Doc Brown is a magician with his tongue. I mean, I wasn't going to say it, but yeah. I'm really sorry you had to deal with it. This has gone off As usual, everything is just Nick's fault. First of wow. all, I take offense. Second of all, <laughs> while that may be factually true, uh, no, that's all I got. No. <laughs> no, this, uh, yeah, usually when it goes off into weird sexual innuendos, it's just me and Nick and Toussaint, so I'm sorry you had to. That just means we're not discriminating. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm just saying, I treat I mean, you like an equal, Anna. We're oh, thank you. We're, we all <laughs> please don't. We are all adults here. So this is true. That is true. Yeah. This is true. That is so. true. So, and if you're a child and you are listening to this, <laughs> so Nick says he's sorry. Nope. Go out and try to become a ballerina. I do not say I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> don't put words in his mouth. Oh my god! If you're a child, you shouldn't be watching this movie. Probably not. But you <laughs> well, know. yeah. No, you know what? You're right. Turn it black swath <laughs> instead of black swan. <laughs> All right. Well, I think it might be. Time. I think I pulled it around. <laughs> I think it might be time for ratings. It's rated R. That was Marty. No, not Marty, but the uh, the oh. count. That's how the, <laughs> that's how the that's how the count laughs. I was oh, say Jared Leto from fucking Suicide. Man, Squad. my impressions tonight are on fire. I knew you were going for you going yeah. for Crispin Glover uh, uh, in uh, Back to the Future. Oh right. yeah, yeah. That was pretty good. He's a terrible father. Yeah. So, but a great. He mother. literally went back in time and made him cooler. And came back. Yeah, <laughs> he had cooler parents then. Aww. After the, he it went the dream, he went back, fucked his mom, and then his parents were cooler. So that's all right. Is that all it takes? <laughs> no, no. Who wants it. to go first? Oh God! Sorry. I'll go first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about here? Ah, <laughs> uh, Black Swan. Yeah, Black Swan. I give this movie a three out of five stars. I I, I do enjoy it. Um, so we have lost the room here, people. Uh, I'm, I'm so gonna, sorry. No, this is in no way your fault. But if you want to take the blame, I'm not going to stop you. Uh, I give this movie three out of five stars. I think it's enjoyable as a as a visceral experience. I enjoy the performances and a lot of the craft here uh, at work is uh, pretty great, and it's. Definitely, um, in my opinion, even though you kind of alluded to it earlier, Alex, as uh, Aronofsky being uh, super uh, into and proud of himself, I feel like that epitome was hit in Mother so so mm-hmm. much as not here, even though mm-hmm. there's some of that here. Uh, because in, I guess what makes this movie still decent in my eyes is that this is Aronofsky inspired by art whereas mother is aronofsky inspired by himself <laughs> and um so therefore what we get is uh, actually pretty decent and while i it didn't really stand the test of time i don't begrudge anyone for enjoying this um and i'm kind of thankful that we watched it because hmm. i've never i mean hadn't seen it in 10 years so i kind of had no idea how i would even feel 10 years ago because like i can remember how i felt them but i knew love it or hate it, but it was not going to be the same movie 10 years later uh, from my own personal experience. And I feel like there was a lot more to mull over than I thought there was going to be mm. in my own headspace and then, of course, in this conversation. But um, it, even if it sounds like a low rating, it's 3 out of 5, but I, I do still quite enjoy this. So. Very good. All right. I'll, I'll go next. Um, Please. I give this... I'm sorry. D- why, Alex? Do you want to go next? You look like no. you, you no, looked no, like no, you no, were no, going to no. say something. Oh no! I'm, okay. I'm 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 trying to not 
make it awkward, and I just did. No, you didn't make it awkward. I, I think did. I made it awkward. I think I think we both. I did. feel like okay. I took care of that about five minutes ago. So okay. you two are in the clear. All right, cool. Are um, we? I I give this movie uh three and a half stars out of five. Um, in terms of like just cinematography and visual style and the general direction that this movie took that kind of is the saving grace for me in contrast to everything else that maybe just isn't as good um in terms of this movie um i enjoy the psychological thriller aspect of it where we have to where we're led to rather be told a story in terms of an unreliable narrator um I know that's mostly used in books, but I think in uh, this case... Used in uh, most uh, mediums, I would say. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're well, good. then I think that applies pretty much here, too. And I think that is a really cool um, device to use here in this case. And I think that's really awesome. Um, yeah, I enjoy movies where like actors really, really get into their role. So like in this case, Natalie Portman and Mila Kunis actually learned dance uh, in order to film. So they actually look like dancers. Um and then all the little, the little details to, like, make this movie as close to reality as possible in terms of um, the setting. So, yeah, I really liked this movie a lot. And then I think this is one of Darren Aronofsky's better movies. So, yeah, three and a half stars from me. Right on. Uh, first of all, love that you brought up the unreliable narrator because I love uh, that in films. And it's one of my favorite devices. And I... Do think it's at play here, even if it's not used probably as prominently as it is in other films. Um, here it is very interesting that the audience does not know what to believe because the main protagonist is giving you information that is not necessarily all true. Mm-hmm. So I'm uh, glad you brought that up because I was oh. actually thinking about that a little bit earlier. So. Very cool. Uh, I gave this a very high rating, uh, four and a half out of five. I'm a huge fan of Black Swan. Uh, I think it is the idea of life imitating art and art imitating life and it going hand in hand. Um, this is a film that hits the medium really well and also, um, just shows the dark and bright side of performative art, whether it be on the stage or on the screen, um, this is a film that really brings everything together in this beautiful mess. And um, at the same time, even though Aronofsky is definitely a pretentious prick, uh, I think he also delivers a, a very, I guess I would say, true vision here of, of what these characters are and uh, what they ultimately will always become no matter what they, you know, choices they make they will always end up at the same spot because of the people that they are Um, whether they chose to be like that or other people made those choices for them years ago um, it's it's like are they human or are they dancer (laughs) what the killers i love that song anyway sorry that was like the only time where thematically those two (laughs) (laughs) sentences will actually make sense okay so I just I had no idea was, what the fuck you're talking that about. That was so. really, really good. Thank you. You're welcome. And all you killer fans out there, which I am one because mm-hmm. Hot Fuzz was Hot Fuzz. Hot, hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz <laughs> uh, was the very You also really like Hot Fuzz. I do. I was yeah. going to say, I'm a big fan of any Hot Fuzz. <laughs> uh, 
um, uh, but that CD was the very first CD I remember buying with my own money. Oh. That is super awesome. I think that's one of the best albums ever. So wow, I, great. Yeah, I don't. If you don't listen to the Killers, that's okay. I I have I've listened to some. Oh, of he's listening. He just made up his mind. <laughs> Any hoodles, uh, four and a half out of five for me for Black Swan. I think it's. Oh, you're gonna say it for Hot Fuss. Sorry, <laughs> I got excited there. Uh, I think it's a fabulous film, and uh, I I really think that this is the tippy top for Aronofsky. Even if the wrestler is also fantastic, uh, this is probably the pinnacle of what his career will be. So, that's my opinion. If you out there have any thoughts on either this film or any other Aronofsky films, always feel free to uh, send us an email at filmtankshow at gmail.com. Also, if you want to find us, try really hard because you probably won't see very much of us right now, even though we always say we're going to try harder at social media. It, uh, it, you know, I've been doing it. You have, but in general, posted an episode in a little while, but yeah, but that's, I still have one to post, but yeah, We'll get there, yeah. but in terms of having a presence, uh, we probably could do better. Yeah, and not just—it's not. It, it's, but do it's we want to kill ourselves for our art? It's <laughs> great. Well, tying all together—that's good. Anyways, you could try to find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Film Tank Show, and our episodes are on our website, filmtankshow.com. But also, you can find them on Stitcher or iTunes. Fucking <laughs> Forrest Gump. <laughs> Stitcher or iTunes at Film Tank Show, and always it would be awesome if you could leave us a rating or a review, as uh, those things do usually matter on those services. Coming up on our next episode, a uh, film that I know Tucson has been looking forward to, and uh, Nick, I'm thinking you're probably somewhat in the same boat, even yeah. if you're not as interested as Tucson. To see what it is. Oh, yes. yeah. Yeah. And I'm interested to see what it is. Um, I think that this director's previous effort was one of the most overrated films of this last decade. Um, but David Robert Mitchell, uh, who previously directed it, directed fuck, directed it follows uh, one of the first episodes we ever did on right. Film Tank. Yes, um, a horror film that has a lot of fans. Uh, one of them uh, is not me. Um, and you should go back and listen to our episode because... I would say all of them is not you. <laughs> well, you and Toussaint and Kenny all thought that It Follows was fantastic, yep. and I thought it was shit. So, very interesting episode. But we have talked about getting all together, me, you, Toussaint, and Kenny, uh, and rewatching that sometime this year and seeing uh, how everyone's ch- thoughts have changed, if at all, four years later. You know what? I will say this. And I don't think we should be It Follows, but like when we get to like episode 300 or 400, we should redo an episode. Hmm. Be like, we haven't seen this movie in five years, and would we have the same conversation? Hmm. Throwing that out there. Okay. Just start redoing episodes. Well, just one. Yeah, no, no, I don't want to do it as like a, you know, recurring thing, but every once in a while it'd be interesting to, uh, Look back and see how young we were. (laughs) So anyways, uh, Under the Silver Lake, the new David Robert Mitchell film, has followed a very interesting uh, path 
as it was supposed to be released, I think, roughly about a year and a half ago. Yeah, this is going to be the first episode, I think, where I'm going to actually take notes before we do the episode. As I plan to go on Wikipedia and like come up with my own timeline of... Because I, that's part of the cultural conversation as to what the hell happened with well, this movie. Well, um, even though I didn't care for It Follows, obviously, um, so... I a little bit was happy to see that this was struggling at the beginning parts of it. But when it got to where it ultimately ended up, I did end up coming out on the other side and feeling terrible for David Robert Mitchell because this ended up just not even ever being released in theaters and just becoming a video on demand film. Yeah. Especially, Um, and it still has an A24 label. Yeah. Like, it's not like they're hiding that as far as like on the poster. From what what you've said, and I've seen the same thing, people who have seen it, so far, and critics have said it's not like terrible. I've watched the first hour of it. Yeah. Spoilers. Uh-huh. Um, and so far, it's definitely passable entertainment. And I'm only saying that just to not even, because I don't want to give a preview as to what I'm thinking, but it in no way screamed like, well, <laughs> this is an embarrassment, so I have no idea. The only thing I can think of. Is just the conspiracy angle that like people fucking hate or something? I don't know. The only thing I could think of is that they just wanted David Robert Mitchell to make another horror film. And they were like, what? Right. And then they saw what this film was and they were like, the fuck is this? (laughs) And then they tried to rework it as a horror film and just kept going back to the well and it just never happened. And then it just, yeah. Yeah. That's why I'm going to do some research only because from what I understand, whatever they wanted and maybe told them, like this movie was unchanged from... From the moment it was finished, the delays and uh, whatnot, but like they never really, no no matter what their intent was, they never got him to it's actually really go back. And I think that's why then it ended up it's the on way VOD it now and whatever. But if anybody out there is interested in films that are just going the way of being delayed, I mean, the Avatar sequel is its own fucking thing. I think that's more has it's to do with James Cameron than anything. A joke. Yeah, it really is at this point. Yeah. It was supposed to come out in 2017. And yeah. it's now it just got delayed again to 2021. I thought the first whiff of like a possible sequel was going to be 2014. Okay. Like that was before <laughs> he then was like I'm going to do 4 or whatever. So then I think the official became 2017, mm-hmm. 28, you know, whatever. But I do feel like when it came out in 2009 and it was first rumored it was like, "Yep, in 20 I I just saw that number in an article somewhere." That was supposed to be the first glimpse of, like, maybe this will come out then. It may, Okay, so I assume, correct me if I'm wrong, because, like, four were announced at once. Are they trying to film them all at once? It's kind of unclear. Yeah. I mean, like, they are trying to do that. Okay. Yes. And they are doing that. And it's unclear as to why that's in any way holding up the <laughs> delay of James, the release. James Cameron has made this kind of proclamation that he's going to create this immersive theater experience watching this film. And he's kept saying, oh, the technology is not there. The technology is there. I think ultimately it keeps getting delayed because I think he knows there's going to be a big fat fucking disappointment. Can I just say something morbid and just say, I, I agree. What that. happens if James Cameron dies? They'll just, we have, they'll just release it. Yeah. I know, but that's the thing. That's like we have four. What I can, from what I can tell, pretty much not final movies, but four filmed uh, products that editors and people who are working on this movie could finish without him. Just as far as finishing and completing their work, and maybe by, by the time, lives. maybe by the time, it'll it just fin- be a girl with a dragon tattoo situation. <laughs> <laughs> 
maybe by the time it finally comes around, Sam Worthington will be recognizable again. I, I doubt it. <laughs> Terminator Salvation pretty much put an end to that. Yeah. yeah. It's worth it. So... What are you, Doc Brown? <laughs> the fuck, where'd that come from? Okay. Never mind. Yeah, that's fine. The other film uh, that I wanted to mention that is just having a terrible time of it is uh, something we've mentioned before on this podcast, but that's the X-Men New Mutants film. Which <laughs> oh, yeah, that got pushed back again. It did. What, so I, re- I read that you told me that in that group chat, but so did it say when? Uh, 2020? Think, yeah, it's like seven months after the new release date it was given now. Okay. Yeah. Which, I mean, I really hope it comes out because with the Disney-Fox merger, I was afraid they were going to shelf it completely. Me personally, but, but but the thing is, is that I'm actually looking forward to New Mutants because that looks better than Dark Phoenix to me. It's a better concept, but at this point, it's more worrisome that they would put something like Dark Phoenix out based on those trailers <laughs> and not New Mutants. Yeah. So, well, Dark Phoenix has all of the X Men characters in it. This and has it's based new... on a classic, if not the most classic story ever, yeah. ever told by X Men. But it just quality wise looks like it might be steaming. Yeah. Uh, whereas New Mutants, like that opening trailer, had some fabulous images in I it. I know. I thought so. Um, but at the same time, A, it seemed like they probably shot it to be PG-13. And everyone's like, oh, R-rated. And they're like, oh, no. <laughs> no. This is going to... And Deadpool blew up. And... Yeah. yeah. And now they're trying again. And I'm just waiting for it to be like that movie Alpha, where the first trailer <laughs> came out and it was like totally serious. And then yeah. the second trailer was like, it was, look how fun. It was Disney nature documentary. <laughs> Come watch a tale of a boy and his pup. A... Dude, for real though, that's yeah. Alpha what it was, was about the robot dog, right? No, you're thinking dog. of uh, I think you're thinking of like it was like Ajax or A seven six. Oh, okay, like that. sorry, never mind. No, no it's just... we should watch after I know that everyone's like ready to go home and be done with today, but we should watch the two trailers for Alpha. It is just fascinating, to just to show you what the because the initial trailer came out, and then I think it was like almost a year before the new trailer came out for it, and it's pretty fantastic. So, anyways, Under the Silver Lake coming up on our next episode uh, here on Film Tank. Thank you, as always, to Anna Bodozado for coming and joining us. Thank you so much again for having me. I love being here. Oh, well, we absolutely love having you. So, from Anna and Nick and myself, everyone's making heart symbols. (laughs) We will catch up with you next time here on Film Tank. (laughs) 